Last week, we began uh, the first week of Advent, came up and lit the first candle. Um, Michelle, I see you back there, and after we heard Will on the mic, I think we need to talk to him about preaching. I think he's a natural. He's a natural. And the Kemper family lit the second candle of Advent tonight, reminding us of what it looks like to have a family being raised in a Christian home. Thank you, Kempers, for that. Last week, we talked about the Song of Mary, and Kelly did an amazing job of that. We really appreciate her. We're approaching Advent this year through the songs that were sung and recorded in the book of Luke, specifically Luke 1 and 2. And tonight, we'll be studying the song of Zechariah. Next week, the song of Simeon. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll gather together at 5 p.m. for our candlelight service, and we will share the song of the angels. And I hear we do have some angels indeed who will be singing that. We talked last week about our culture and how it has grabbed on to this season and made it into a commercialized and a consumeristic secular holiday. And if you have been a Christian for a very long time and have heard this, this story over and over and over again, sometimes we as Christian, Christians can really miss out on the season. Bonhoeffer wrote in one of his books, The Coming of Jesus in Our Mist. He says, we have become so accustomed to the idea of divine love and of God's coming at Christmas that we no longer fear, we no longer feel the shriver of fear, I'm sorry, the shriver of fear that God's company coming should arouse in us. We are somehow indifferent to this message, taking only the pleasant and agreeable, taking it out of it and forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near to the people on our little earth and he lays claim to us. Bonhoeffer's writing back in 1943 is relevant today as it was back then. And we need to be reminded of this season of what Advil, Advent is all about. I told you last week, it's not only Advent season, it's Advil season. It's not some little sweet story uh, but it is a powerful story of a revolution of love from an all-powerful, all-merciful, all-good and beautiful God. We here hope that this Advent will be a special time for you and your family as Christians journeying together with other Christians in our community. We need to open our hearts to God for this season in our lives. Everyone loves babies, right? I see some heads. I see a lot of heads. Aaron, do I see your head? Yeah, yeah. It's good to have you back. Aaron just had surgery. Somehow, babies bring out the good in us, the life in us. I love it when I see grown men 
get down on the floor and talk baby talk to a toddler. I stopped by the Sarkis house the other day and, and Aaron was in the floor with his foot in the air on the couch playing with the twins. It was so sweet. And, and I love to see Sid at home when he takes off his glasses and he gets in the middle of the room on the floor on his all fours. And he is bombarded by three sweet grandkids all wanting to ride the horse. And I remember, as you do, uh, this time last year that Jessica and Aaron Sarkis were double pregnant. And we were all so ready to meet those little babies, Silas and Owen. And there's just this certain excitement of anticipating a newborn. It changes everything, right? Uh, a little over seven years ago, our daughter Misty and her husband Brian came by the house, and they had two small gifts wrapped up for Sid and I to open. I'm going to give you the punchline before, before I tell you the rest of it, but one was a diaper, and the other was pregnancy test results. Now, this they had been married a couple of years, and this was their way of surprising us, a sneaky way to tell us that they were pregnant for the first time. Sid and I had absolutely no idea. Just give a watch. That's what I thought. See, it's kind of interesting. We, we read in Luke that Mary had a song, and mine wasn't a song. It was just a screech. But that's what babies do for us. They just change our whole life. They just shake us all up. And when we read the Gospels about Jesus coming to this earth, there is also happiness and celebration in the Gospels. There were gifts to give. Can you imagine when it finally sunk into Mary who she was carrying in her womb? And we are told in the scriptures that Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and tell her that she was pregnant. And Elizabeth was already pregnant. And that little John, baby John, actually jumped in the womb when Mary approached them. This was an exciting time. And so we enter this the second week of Advent with a sense of wonder and excitement and hope. And tonight we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both of these people were from well-established families in the Jewish faith. Zechariah was a, a, Jewish, a Jewish priest and very, very highly regarded. And for years and years and years, this couple had prayed that they would have a baby. But now that they were elderly, they were like Sid and me, very elderly. And Elizabeth had even given up all hope of ever becoming pregnant. Now, back in this culture, if you were barren, it was an absolute embarrassment. It was a disgrace. And even though it was totally out of the couple's control, the culture at that time was very, very cruel. 
For this Advent, we are using the book of Luke, and we are told in the first chapter that Zacharias was in the temple at the time of the incense offering when he was approached by an angel, Gabriel. Zachariah was filled with fear, and he was terrified. The angel told him that his prayers had finally been answered and that he need not be afraid. He told him that Elizabeth would soon bear a son, and his name was to be John, and he would prepare the hearts of the people for Jesus' coming. I can just picture Zechariah standing there in somewhat of a shock. You see, God had not spoken to his people for years and years. Heaven was silent for 400 years. The people had been waiting. Zechariah had been leading his people in prayer his whole life. And now this, this image, this vision of an angel was in front of him. And Zechariah responded by questioning the angel. How will I know this is true? Because I'm an old man and Elizabeth's an old woman. But the angel assured him that it was going to happen. And then he told him because of his doubt and because of his questioning that he would not be able to speak until everything happened. And Zechariah, at that moment, was unable to speak. He had a long, long time to think and to process that Elizabeth was actually going to have a baby. And we don't, we don't really fully understand why he was struck mute, but we can look at other scripture that might be comparable. If you think about John when he had I'm sorry, you think about Paul when he came face to face with the Lord. He became blind for a period of time. Maybe it was God's way to really get their attention, to think and to process their priorities at that time. When Elizabeth gave birth to their baby, all the neighbors and friends came to cheer them on. That's what they did back in the day. They were very close-knit communities. And so when a woman was pregnant, she got a lot of attention. And when that baby was coming, her neighbors came over to help her. And so we look in Luke 1, 59 through 66. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they is the community. And they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No, he is going to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Now all the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For obviously the Lord's hand was upon him.
We can look back on this story and see God's fingerprints all over it. He was faithful to give Zechariah and Elizabeth a child, although, although he had to kind of rein in Zechariah. And now the plot is moving. God is preparing his people and the world for the new king in town. And John is going to prelude him. God was paying attention to all the fine details of the story. And now, can you just think about what Zechariah was feeling? This old man had dedicated his life to the teaching of the temple and was unaware of how difficult life was for his people. They were living under the reign of the Roman Empire. He had faithfully prayed for God to intervene, and now God was going to do exactly that. Well, the waiting is over. Heaven finally spoke, and the people are yearning to listen. Zechariah sees his newborn son, and he knows that God is present and doing his work, and he is free to speak once again. Now those same feelings, those feelings that welled up in Mary before she sang the Magnificat are deep inside Zechariah. Mere words are not enough to express what is so deep in him. He sings from the deepness of his soul. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate, to show mercy to our ancestors and remember his covenant. The oath he swore to Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give 
his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Thank you, Adam. Absolutely beautiful. I love this time of year. Reading the scriptures, understanding that the Jewish people were really suffering and then seeing God's hand in the middle of this story. He is in the process of rescuing his people and setting the world back to a new rhythm and a new king. He is using something that we can all identify with, a newborn baby. He is coming to this earth to become like us, God in human form. It's a new chapter. It's a new time. Hope is tangible, and his name is Jesus. There is a new king in town, and he's not going to be like Caesar. He is not going to be like Herod. His kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. This is not a kingdom where some people have a lot and others have nothing. This is a kingdom where everyone has enough. The scriptures tell us that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Old Testament, being filled with the Holy Spirit was often associated with prophecy. And so Zechariah begins to prophesy to the people in this song. Zechariah, like Mary, begins with pure praise to God. Look at verse 67. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he hath visited and wrought redemption for his people. Remember last week, Mary sang, my soul magnifies the Lord. So both songs begin with a pure worship of God. And then Zechariah tells his people that God is good to his promises as far back as Abraham. So what has God promised? The Roman Empire, remember, was stealing people's money through high taxation. And when they didn't have enough to pay for their taxes, the Roman soldiers would physically take the land away from them and give it to King Herod. God has promised salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. What God had promised is to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. God is going to rescue his people from their enemies. All the wrongs 
were going to be rioted. He assures his people that, that God is showing mercy to them. But what Zechariah sings after that brings attention back to the Jewish people. The first part of that talks about the enemies and people who hate them. But now Zechariah sings something that comes back to the community. He's, he's saying, baby John will grow up and give knowledge of salvation to the Jews. What does that even mean? The tables are now turned. Now the community's problem is not only those who hate us, but are declared to be in need of deliverance themselves from their own sins. The oppressed were also sinners. A savior for sinners is a savior for all, because all have sinned. Salvation from our enemies and our own sins. I'm sure during this quiet period of 400 years that people who knew God also couldn't help but put some other idols in front of them. And I'm sure that a lot of people had gone away from God. And this was a time when John was going to come and bring salvation, the knowledge of salvation, preparing the way for Jesus to come. James Bryant Smith, which you're familiar with, recently wrote a book called The Magnificent Story, and he defines magnificent as something beautiful, good, and true. He writes, We are creatures with a mystery in our heart that is bigger than ourselves. We may think we can find ultimate pleasure, satisfaction, and meaning in alcohol, sex, money, or power, but in reality, those have never satisfied anyone. They are too small for our massive souls. We were designed to take part in a divine drama, an epic story. We were made not merely to hear it, but to be in the story. He is saying that there is an epic or a magnificent story. In other words, there is a story that is so beautiful and good and true, and that story is so much bigger than ourselves, so powerful that it can change each one of us as well as the world. It is this story of when God loved his people so much that he sent his son as a baby to live among us and to show us the way to have a personal relationship with God Almighty. And Smith writes that we need to find ourselves in this story. So where are we in the story of Christmas? Well, we find ourselves in the middle of two Advents. The first Advent was the coming of Christ as a baby, which will be celebrated on December the 25th. The second advent refers to the coming, the second coming of Christ to this earth. We have the scriptures to know about the first. We go back and reflect on those, Jesus as a baby. But we also have scriptures that look ahead to when Jesus will return to this earth. 
Look at the story of the Jewish people waiting in the middle of a chaotic world, and we see that God came to rescue them, right? And today we find ourselves right in the middle of a chaotic world. People oppressed through race, gender, socioeconomics, overcome by the power and the greedy, the hate-filled terrorist whose aim is to bully their way into an empire. And we wait. And for we are told in the word of God that Jesus will come again and it will be a beautiful thing. It will be a good thing. The wrongs will be righted. Bonhoeffer wrote from a prison cell on November 21st, 1943. Life in a prison cell may well be compared to Advent. One waits, hopes, and does this or other things that are really of no consequence. The door is shut and can only be opened from the outside. Last week, we talked about giving gifts to the birthday boy, and I've been thinking about that all week. This is a season of giving, but our culture would have you think it is all about receiving. What are you giving this year? Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in you and to change something in you? One Christmas, a husband asked his wife, what do you want for Christmas? She immediately replied, because she had been thinking about it a long time, I found this diamond ring. I would really like to have it. She had already found it in the store. She knew exactly what it looked like, and he encouraged her to buy it and go ahead and wrap it and put it under the tree. She went back to the store and tried it on, admiring its sparkling diamonds. But something inside of her wouldn't quite let her purchase the ring. Not wanting to rush into it, she asked the lady, can you put this on hold for a few days? The lady replied, yes, we can keep it for a few days. The lady went back the next day and tried it on. It was absolutely everything she wanted. So why was she having trouble just handing over the credit card to the lady? She left, and she came back the next day, still unable to buy it. Something held her back, and so she began to pray about it. The ring was beautiful, and yes, it was kind of expensive, but her husband had told her, go ahead and get it. Somehow she just didn't feel good about it. A few days later, the wife was checking her email and had a, mes had a message from a pastor in, in Africa telling her about a church that the townspeople had built. And they had it all ready, but they still needed funding for a new roof. She realized that her hesitation of buying the diamond ring was from the Holy Spirit. And she finally understood why. She emailed the pastor back and asked how much the new roof would cost. And it was the same price as the diamond ring in the store. When her husband got home that afternoon, she sat down and explained to him her story. And then she wrote out a check for the amount of the diamond ring and sent it to Africa. You see, this is how the Holy Spirit works. 
He dwells in us. He's alive. If we allow him, he will transform us to become more and more like Jesus. This past summer, we read the book Embrace, and I hope it continues to challenge us to reach out to others who are different from ourselves, to expand our mission field right where we live. Austin Street and our calling are tangible ways to give. Also, God crossed the boundary to become human with us. You ever thought about that? Let us cross a boundary to meet someone different from ourselves, maybe from a different country or a different culture. What about you and your kids baking brownies and taking them to an elder neighbor? Or fill someone else's car up with a full tank of gas? Pay it forward this season. And may your Christmas be bright and shining, bringing light to a darkened world. I want to leave you with this thought captured in Psalm 62, 5 through 8. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. O God, rest my deliverance and my honor. On God rest my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Would you pray with me? Lord, in the midst of shining presence and tinsel, would you speak to us and open our eyes and ears to hear you? When the world around us is going crazy with spending that we can't even afford, would you calm our spirits and teach us the real importance of this season? Lord, what is it that we need to let go of so that we can know you more? We thank you for the song of Zechariah as he points us to you, knowing that you came as a baby, knowing that you will come again for us. Teach us, grow us, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go now, wait and work for the coming of the day of God in the wild places Prepare a straight path for the Lord. Lead lives of holiness and godliness. Strive to be found at peace. And speak freely of the Lord's comfort and promise. And may God, our shepherd, gather you in loving arms. May Christ Jesus reconcile justice and peace within you. And may the Holy Spirit baptize you into the life of God. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord and each other. In the name of Christ, amen. Go in blessed peace.